We present the unbelievable truth, the panel game built on truth and lies. In the chair, please welcome David Mitchell. Hello and welcome to The Unbelievable Truth, the panel show about incredible truths and barely credible lies. I'm David Mitchell. Tonight it's a comedy couple special. Three duos, all of whom are comedians, a genuine celebration of how suffocatingly incestuous this industry is. <laughs> As Tess Daly would say, please welcome our celebrity couples. Comedian Marcus Brigstock with comedian Rachel Paris. Comedian Lucy Porter with comedian Justin Edwards. And lastly, comedian Sarah Millican with comedian Gary Delaney. The rules are as follows. Each couple will present a short lecture that should be entirely false, save for five hidden truths which their opponent should try to identify. Points are scored by truths that go unnoticed, while other panellists can win points if they spot a truth or lose points if they mistake a lie for a truth. First up are Rachel Paris and Marcus Brigstock. Marcus and Rachel were married in September 2019, which means that most of their marriage has so far been in lockdown. Indeed, the longest single bit of exercise they've had is walking down the aisle together. <laughs> Rachel and Marcus, appropriately your subject is marriage, the legally or formally recognised union of two people as partners in a relationship. Before you start, Rachel and Marcus, let's test our special lockdown buzzers. Rachel and Marcus go... And... Lucy and Justin, you have... That's very nice. And uh, Sarah and Gary, what have you got? And Sarah, I believe you can do a clown horn without a clown horn, is that right? Yeah. So this is the actual horn, and this is mine. That's, that's remarkable. That, it is extraordinary. Yeah. I'm often concerned there's a, there's a clown in the house. <laughs> I mean, there, there's technically two. <laughs> OK, well, fingers on those objects, teams, and off you go, Rachel and Marcus. Marriage is a wonderful institution, but who would want to live in an institution like this? It is a worry, with the number of newly registered marriages dropping by a quarter since 2016. That was a train whistle. Was that Lucy or Justin? It was me. I, when you said that the marriages have dropped by a quarter since 2016, that struck me as being a sad truth. It isn't true, no. actually. We, oh, well, that's cheered me up, then. There aren't, in <laughs> fact... Um, <laughs> apparently, there are no figures since 2016, which seems like they've got a bit behind on the figures. What else have they had to do in the lockdown except tot up the marriages? But in general, since 2000, the marriage rate is roughly steady. Oh, well, I'm reassured. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Reality TV shows which feature weddings make up more than half of all reality television. Shows such as Hiding the Bride, Fling the Ring and Room on the Groom are amongst Netflix's <laughs> most popular shows. The show Love is Blind, which featured seven last-minute weddings, was sued and fined for not featuring enough blind people. Keeping Up With The Kardashians featured no less than six weddings during its run. It featured Kim Kardashian's second marriage, which lasted less time than your average 12-year-old school romance. Kim Kardashian's engagement ring from Kanye West was so heavy with diamonds, it caused her to sprain her wrist, and she had to wear a discreet wrist splint as she came up the aisle. But this was also diamond-encrusted, so she ended up dislocating her thin shoulder. <laughs> Marrying your sibling is legal in the state of Utah under the so-called Targaryen law. 
Oh, clown horns. And that didn't sound to me like a human being being a clown horn. So was that Gary? <laughs> no, it was Sarah, but it wasn't organic. Ah, all right. Organic's <laughs> <laughs> a terrible word to use. Is it legal in Utah to marry a sibling? It feels like it probably is. It isn't, no. Oh, But you're quite okay. right. They need to look at their whole global image. The fact that you would believe that of them <laughs> is a really bad sign. <laughs> They need a big slogan somewhere. It's just polygamy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, normal. Yeah. Do you think exactly. in Utah, the old uh, poem, On My Way to St Ives, I Met a Man with Seven Wives, is just considered unremarkable? <laughs> <laughs> it was John. <laughs> the practice of marrying relatives has risen considerably in the last hundred years worldwide. Today, more than one in ten marriages are between first and second cousins, and brother-sister marriages are still ten a penny on the Isle of Wight. <laughs> Those who eschew humans altogether for marriage and prefer objects are known as inanimists. In 1976, in Los Angeles, Janine Swift married a 50-pound rock. Clown horns. Did a lady marry a rock? Yes. <gasps> That's yeah, right. Good work. 50-pound yes. rock. He's bulked up since then, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> in 1979, Janine Swift married a 50-pound rock in L.A. And it also says in 2016, artist Tracy Emin announced she'd married a stone from her garden in the south of France, saying, the stone I married is beautiful and dignified. It will never let me down. It might if she goes swimming with it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a historical law against marrying someone with the same full name as you. Famously, in 1928, though, writer Evelyn Waugh married a woman called Evelyn, and to avoid confusion, their friends referred to them as Hevelyn Waugh and Shevelyn Waugh. <laughs> Some stats on marriage. Unmarried people are more likely to wear Doc Martens, fall downstairs and play the guitar than married people. Oh, oh, there's honks and toots. I think <laughs> the train whistle was in first there. I'm firmly of the opinion that unmarried people are more likely to fall down the stairs. Uh, well, who are? Um, the unmarried people. people. The, um, the people that they said would. Yeah, quite <laughs> <well. laughs> <laughs> Unmarried. That is true. Unmarried yeah, people. Good spot. How on yeah. earth did you know that? Because <laughs> Justin used to fall down the stairs. The stairs all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Did you marry Lucy just so you stopped falling down the stairs? <laughs> so he'd have something soft to land on, really. I mean. <laughs> and that's the end of Rachel and Marcus's lecture. So, Rachel and Marcus, at the end of that round, you've managed to smuggle three truths past the rest Ooh. of the panel, which Ooh, are that Kim Kardashian's second it. marriage lasted less time than your average 12-year-old school romance. Kim Kardashian's marriage to basketball player Chris Humphreys lasted 72 days. The average length of a romantic relationship between 12 to 14-year-olds, according to some research, is apparently <laughs> five months. That sounds like quite a long really? time to me. Well, it seems very long yeah. to me. Yeah. Too long. It's clearly not true. People aren't having relationships at that age. Not until they're at least 19, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 21 may be innocent. <laughs> The second truth is that today more than one in ten marriages are between first or second cousins, worldwide, that is. Uh, and the third truth is that in 1928, writer Evelyn War married a woman named Evelyn. To avoid confusion, their friends called them he Evelyn and she Evelyn or Hevelyn and Shevelyn. Oh, they missed a trick there. They should have called her Evelyn Peace. <laughs> 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 and that means, Rachel and Marcus, you've scored three points. 
All right. It was once claimed that 35 ministers in Harold Macmillan's government, including seven cabinet ministers, were related to him by marriage. Thank goodness we've moved past that now and they've only all gone to the same school. (laughs) (laughs) Model railway fan John Whelan's marriage ended on his wedding night when he insisted on playing with his train set rather than making love to his new wife. His wife said her hopes were initially raised when he'd gone to the cupboard for a tube of lubricant only to be dashed after it was applied to the axles on his coal truck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was feeling hornby. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we turn now to Lucy Porter and Justin Edwards. Lucy and Justin have been married for 11 years and say they're secret is an ability to see things from the other's point of view, which in Lucy's case involves a small stepladder. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy and Justin, your subject is crisps. Mm. Typically very thin slices of potato that are fried or baked until crisp, then seasoned and eaten as a cold snack. Off you go, Lucy and Justin. Although first mentioned in Shakespeare's Henry V's speech, Tomorrow is St Crispian's Day, crisps are a US invention. Pringles were created in the South Dakota town of Pringle by Colonel Timothy Pringle, who went on to design Pringle jumpers. He also started a dating night where unattached Dakotans could associate freely, offering potato chips to one another. The event had its own signature tune, known as the Colonel Timmy's Pringle Single Mingle Jingle. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't until after Pringle died and was buried in a potato-shaped coffin that crisps found their way across the Atlantic and crunched onto British shores in 1907. Coincidentally, this was also the year that Quentin Crisp was born. His family changed their name from Cupcake to reflect the soaring popularity of this new savoury snack. The ensuing crisp mania of 1908 led to a dance in which crisps were crushed rhythmically underfoot, a forerunner of the mashed potato. (laughs) Sophisticated gentlemen would carry a packet of crisps under their hats and ladies would conceal the snack within their hand warmers, leading to the popular music hall song, She Had Crisps Falling Out of Her Muff. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. I, I think crisps under the hat is true. It's not true as far as we know. But no. uh, it seems like a perfectly serviceable place to keep crisps. So, you know, maybe... <laughs> With those really on. tall top hats, you could keep several tubes of Pringles oh, up there. Quite yeah. Yeah, yeah, you one of, one of each flavour, couldn't you? Yeah. Up there. Crisps are very noisy as well. It gives your hair more volume, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> Crisps became a huge hit across the sea in Ireland, where there was widespread delight at finding yet another way to cook potatoes. And their popularity has continued to this day, with the opening of a crisp-based amusement park, where patrons can ride the potato flume... Yes, Marcus or Rachel? I think there might very well be a crisp-based amusement park in Ireland, although as I say that, I realise my next gig's in Ireland, if this isn't true, (laughs) could be very tense. Well, it is true. Um, Hurrah! Yeah. Wow. Tato Park is a theme park and zoo in County <laughs> Meath, Ireland, based on the potato crisp brand Tato. It was opened in 2010 and is the sixth most popular paid-for attraction in the Republic of Ireland, with 750,000 visitors in 2015. Attractions include Mr Tato's Pony Rail, the Crispy <laughs> Maze, the Spudhara Playground... And the Tato Twister Slide. Sorry, the Spudhara. The Spudhara Playground. I'm assuming they they want a traditional desert-themed playground that we're all familiar with. (laughs) Mm. But how do you potatoise a desert? 
You just crushed up crisps to make the sand. That's Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then if the sand gets into your sandwiches like it does on the beach, it's a treat rather than a chore. <laughs> really crunchy, crunchy and delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't like a crisp sandwich? <laughs> In Scotland, crisps have been reimagined to reflect the national cuisine and Mackies of Scotland have experimented with various styles and flavours, including venison and iron brew, buckfast and tablet, whiskey and haggis, shortbread scratchings and deep-fried Mars bar hoops. There's pings all round. I think at least one of those flavours is true. I, and I think it's whiskey, whiskey and, and haggis. haggis. Mm-hmm. I'm backing up my wife there. Correct. It is yes. whiskey oh. and haggis. Delicious. Yeah. We um, don't need to know if you're backing up your wife, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we that's why we're doing was, this on the radio. She's too close to the microphone. I had no choice. <laughs> you made her bell ring. You did that. <laughs> um... Yes, Perthshire-based Mackies released a line of whiskey and haggis-flavoured crisps in 2014. They've since been discontinued, I'm sorry to say. None of these caught on with the notoriously clean-living Scots, and they were right to be wary, as despite their reputation as a health food, crisps are surprisingly bad for you. (laughs) Eating a bag of crisps a day can give you a 100 times the level of radiation you'd get from living next to a nuclear power station, which is why angry golfer Donald Trump eats a bag of Monster Munch every morning as he tweets from his toilet to help maintain his healthy glow. (laughs) (laughs) Furthermore, the British Heart Foundation has claimed that if you ate a bag of crisps every day for a year... You would swallow five litres of cooking oil, yet only absorb as much vitamin C as could be found in three grapes. I think the ding was just ahead, but maybe it's just the quality of the sound that makes it sound earlier. I might earlier. start doing my own. I'm going to. I'm yeah. putting my horn down, guys. I'm going to start doing my own. <laughs> yep. That's marriage. <laughs> <laughs> So, Marcus or Rachel? Yes, I think that the British Heart Foundation said if you eat a bag of crisps every day for a year, you'll have, was it five litres of cooking oil? Yes, and that's absolutely right. Mm. And absolutely delicious, may I point out. (laughs) Don't you know a lot about grease, Marcus? (laughs) (laughs) I love a crisp, Rachel, as you know. I think the Donald Trump uh, eating Monster Munch on the toilet thing was nearly true, but it's cheesy what's-its and then he touches his face a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Japan has taken on the mantle of global crisp capital and is the number one crisp-eating nation in the world, with over 40,000 crisp vending machines in Tokyo alone. Oh, uh, Sarah or Gary? Uh, that was me and that, that was, was my you, human noise. It? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it really? Yeah, I still have to do the so hand. Amazing. I yeah. still have to do the hand as if I'm squeezing <laughs> it. That is true. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of vending machines that have other things in, in Japan uh, that we probably know of and that we probably shouldn't talk about. But I feel like, is that a true fact about crisps in Japan? Over 40,000 crisp vending machines yeah. in Tokyo alone, No. That's not true. Oh. Yeah. They're all just full of women's knickers. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> the Japanese have crisp-flavoured ice cream, crisp-flavoured fizzy drink and crisp sushi. Pringles were banned initially in Japan as the once you pop, you just can't stop slogan was mistranslated as it's not just a snack, it's potato crack. <laughs> <laughs> Crisps have a special place in our hearts because on our first date I was so late that Justin ate 14 bags of mini cheddars before I turned up and had to go home and lie down. (laughs) He he also proposed to me using a salt and vinegar hula hoop as he'd lost the ring and he has kept that hula hoop to this day. No, I haven't ate it years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Lucy and Justin. So... 
the end of that round, you've managed to smuggle two truths past the rest of the panel, which are that eating a bag of crisps a day can give you a hundred times the level of radiation you'd get from living next door to a nuclear power station. Wow. That is the sequel of Chernobyl. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The average dose of radiation received by those living near a nuclear power plant is less than 0.0002 units of radiation. Eating a packet of crisps a day would give you a hundred times that level. However, it's the fat and salt that's bad for you, of course. And the second truth is that the Japanese company Kimura have released a crisp-flavoured fizzy drink. Uh, wow. The same company previously released an eel-flavoured cola as well as cola-flavoured crisps. And that means, Lucy and Justin, that you've scored two points. Doritos were invented at Disneyland. The development process took months, with the last details finalised as the inventor reached the front of the Pirates of the Caribbean queue. (laughs) (laughs) There are around three to four potatoes in a tube of Pringles, but only if you take the Pringles out and replace them with three to four potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) It's now the turn of Sarah Millican and Gary Delaney. Sarah and Gary live in Manchester, where they often spend an enjoyable afternoon together going for walks past the caged student enclosures. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah and Gary, your subject is rabbits Small, soft-furred, burrowing mammals With long ears and short tails That move by jumping on their hind legs Off you go, Sarah and Gary There are eight different ways to skin a rabbit And all of them will get you kicked out of the pet shop (laughs) Bugs Bunny is actually a hare Donald Duck is a goose Oh, now that was the ding first Marcus or Rachel? I think that Bugs Bunny is actually a hare. That is correct. Mm. (gasps) Yes, Bugs Bunny is widely agreed to be a hare, not a rabbit, and was referred Mm. to as a hare before being given the name Bugs Bunny. He first appeared in a cartoon in 1940 called A Wild Hare, and his characteristics match those of a hare more than they do a rabbit. The only discrepancy is that Bugs lives in an underground burrow, whilst hares only live in nests on the surface. So, yeah. They're also really curious about what doctors are doing. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, you know, in some ways he's a rabbit, in some ways he's a hare. It makes me think that in our culture, the distinction between a rabbit and a hare is not that useful. And maybe mm. those two animals should be merged and we just mm. use them. <laughs> adjective and call that's a larger hare rabbit and that's a smaller hare rabbit <laughs> like crocodiles and alligators yeah yeah yes crocodiles and alligators that's another one no one's interested have one yeah. word for them what about hamsters and mice same mm. are hamsters not quite a lot bigger than mice hamsters are too big to flush down the toilet when oh! they die and mice aren't that's probably the main <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say about your plumbing. You should have a, a flush that can get rid of a small dog. <laughs> oh, he's right. He's under the table. Don't say that about the dog. <laughs> he genuinely is. There is a horrified yeah. dog right by our feet. <laughs> it's important uh, to pack discipline that any pet dog should know that you could flush it away and it's only your choice not to. Oh. That's, <laughs> otherwise, they won't respect you. That's, That's why our German shepherd looks so confident all the time. <laughs> He knows he's never going to fit round that you, Ben. Absolutely. Uh, Until you dig a well, you'll never get that dog to fetch a stick. We've christened our toilet the dog flume. (laughs) (laughs) Carry on, Sarah or Gary. 
Donald Duck is a goose and Goofy is a sin against both God and nature. <laughs> in Alaska, rabbit mittens are large gloves with a compartment containing a live rabbit to keep the hands warm. In Sweden, making warm clothes from rabbit fur has been banned. So now in the long cold winters, the Swedes stay indoors and keep their homes warm by burning rabbits instead. <laughs> A ping first, Marcus or Rachel? I think that in Sweden, making clothes from rabbit fur probably is banned. It isn't banned, no. Oh! No, no in fact, it's compulsory. <laughs> <laughs> Was ABBA short for abattoir? <laughs> <laughs> Japan's rabbit island actually has no rabbits on it. Other places that have no wild rabbits include the Isle of Sark, Menorca and India. <laughs> Terrain whistle, Lucy or Justin? Uh, what do you think? I was going to... I well, mean, I, I which that, one were you going to go for? I was going to say that Rabbit Island has no rabbits. That seems more believable. Oh. Um, what, what were you going to go are for? Are you going to say that? Because well, this is a new part of the game where the married couple discuss <laughs> what they were going <laughs> to What were you going to say, my Well, darling? I was going to choose one of the ones that doesn't have rabbits yeah. on it. I think Menorca was mentioned. It was. Um, I don't know. Or Sark. But then you'd think it'd be very hard to... They'd get to Sark, wouldn't they? Yeah. While we're here, what are we having for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> so, um... So are you going to well, let's go collectively with... say either that Japan's rabbit island has no rabbits or that one of those other islands has no rabbits or both? Let's go I, for I... Justin's one first and then can we rebuzz or are we... This you, is... you can. I'm going to allow it. Right. Firstly, Rabbit Island does have rabbits on it. It's yeah. overrun with rabbits. That's yeah. why it's called Rabbit Island. Yes, that does make sense now you, now you mention it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you going to rebuzz? Are you going to read most? Go on. Go yeah, on. go on then. Why not? Go on. No, you do it. You do it. Yes. There we go. Yeah. I think Menorca feels right, Justin. What do you think? I um I will. Um... Oh, another discussion. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm completely 100 percent behind you. Is this Mr. and Mrs. Have we got the wrong day? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so... Let's just not discuss that lamp in the kitchen. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's say Menorca doesn't have any rabbits on it. It has plenty of rabbits. Has oh, oh, I don't believe you said rabbits. that, Lucy. Why would you say that? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> idiotic, idiotic woman. <laughs> anyway, so I think yeah. you lose two points there. Oh, um, dear. Yes. Oh, dear, dear. Disaster. Um, a food that rabbits don't actually like to eat is carrots, but they've been fed them for so long now that at this point it would be awkward to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, I'm, Justin, I'm, gonna, no. I'm, I'm just trying to. Oh dear, really? But no. This no. Time, I just, oh, Justin, I honestly, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the casino all over again. <laughs> oh, the casino, the lamp in the kitchen, those trousers. Um, I, think, I think that rabbits don't like carrots. I think that's absolutely true. I've never seen a rabbit actually eat a carrot other than in cartoon form. And then it turns out that's not even a rabbit. So I don't know what to think anymore. But no, they don't like them. They do like them. No. Uh, but I think it's fair to say that they don't dig them up themselves, but they happily eat them. You shouldn't give them too many. It's like giving them chocolate. <laughs> OK. Uh, the sex shop Ann Summers estimates it's sold more rampant rabbit vibrators than there are actual rabbits in the UK. The prototype of the rampant rabbit was known as the pubic hay. Dina Scranton <laughs> of Lubbock, Texas, once sued the makers of the rampant rabbit for $7.2 million, claiming the device had given her mixomatosis. <laughs> <laughs> Soul and R&B singer Willie Hutch took his stage name from an unfortunate childhood incident where he trapped his genitalia in his pet's cage. His real name is, of course, Dick Fishbowl. <laughs> <laughs> 
Playboy bunny creator, the late Hugh Hefner, was a genuine rabbit enthusiast and is believed to have discovered several new species. He even has a real rabbit named after him. Silver largest. Thank you for that. That's really hard to say. I was very glad (laughs) for that interruption. I think the uh, train whistle came in there first. I think Hugh Hefner would have rabbits named after him. That is absolutely true. Yes, we're clawing it back for us. After funding (laughs) conservation research to help save an endangered subspecies of marsh rabbit, Playboy founder Hugh Hefner duly had the rabbit named in his honour. Silvilagus palustris hefneri. Such was his devotion to bunnies that Hugh Hefner went on to produce a number of rabbit-inspired versions of classic movies, including From Hair to Eternity, <laughs> What's Up, Dr Shivago, <laughs> and, of course, Some Like It Shot. <laughs> Globally, rabbit is the fourth most popular meat, though connoisseurs have noticed different rabbit species don't all taste the same. For example, American marsh rabbit tastes like alligator. French Angora rabbit tastes like cat, and Welsh rabbit tastes like cheese. Marcus or Rachel? Well, Welsh rabbit tastes like cheese. Well, it's actually Welsh rabbit. Rabbit. Isn't it? Mm. Oh, of course it is. An actual Welsh... Don't ring until I give you... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry. For for the rest of you, I am being glared at across (laughs) the table. And I genuinely hovered my hand over the ringer and Rachel wagged her finger at me. (laughs) (laughs) And now we know why. Well, yes, that's that's a point... She was correct. (laughs) It's a point that's been lost there for the two of you. There's nothing I can do about it. And I'm sorry for it. And that's the end of Sarah and Gary's lecture. So, the end of that round, you've managed to smuggle three truths past the rest of the panel, which are that the Swedes keep their homes warm by burning rabbits. Rabbits are not native to Sweden, yet Stockholm in particular has been overrun by rabbits, mostly the offspring of pets released by their owners, so are culled each year in their thousands before being shipped to a biofuel plant which incinerates them to heat Swedish homes. Good Lord. What a lovely story. (laughs) It's interesting, it's biofuel. I don't know, how environmentally sound is that? I suppose they're burning things, not that environmentally sound. I think rabbits are Mm. infinitely renewable, surely. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They self-renew like rabbits. <laughs> the second truth is that other places that have no wild rabbits include India. India has no native what? wild rabbit species, only wow. hares. You see, once again, I'm right, we don't need the distinction. <laughs> but, uh, but they only have hares. The only rabbits found in the wild in India are feral domestic rabbits brought over by the British. And the third truth is that the sex shop Ann Summers estimates it sold more rampant rabbit vibrators than there are actual rabbits in the UK. What? Ann Summers <laughs> estimate that since the rampant rabbit was released in 1972, they've sold an average of 800,000 units a year, a total of 38.4 million vibrators. The Game and Wildlife Trust estimate the UK's rabbit population to be around 37 million. So, yes, that is correct. They have sold more. And some have sold so many. There were such big queues. They had to do it on a first-serve, first-come basis. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that means, Sarah and Gary, you've scored three points. One of the rarest mammals in the world is the Mexican volcano rabbit. It seems to have followed a similar fate to that of the Guatemalan jet engine goose (laughs) and the Honduran motorway hedgehog. (laughs) 
<laughs> Which brings us to the final scores. In third place, with minus four points, it's Lucy and Justin. Oh dear. In second place... I with... shall never forgive you. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, Lucy quite often does very well in this game. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, in, in second place with minus one point, it's Sarah and Gary. And in first place with an unassailable three points, it's this week's winners, Rachel and Marcus. Yay! The finger wagging has stopped. Okay. <laughs> Mine is about to start. I <laughs> anyway, that's about it for this week. Goodbye. The Unbelievable Truth was devised by John Naismith and Graham Garden and featured David Mitchell in the chair with panellists Lucy Porter, Justin Edwards, Sarah Millican, Gary Delaney, Rachel Paris and Marcus Brigstock. The chairman's script was written by Dan Gaster and Colin Swash and the producer was John Naismith. It was a random production for BBC Radio 4.